everybody. Welcome to my show, Breakfast with Brent Pope. I usually start off with a very high energy, hype introduction of my guest, and we will get to that. But first, I want to talk to you about a couple things. This episode of Breakfast was actually recorded on May 23rd, just two days before the murder of George Floyd, which was one of the catalysts of the worldwide protests that are causing change and conversations to happen and that are changing the world. I mention this because in this episode, Ramon Diocampo and I have a conversation about our experiences as Filipino-American men, which includes how we feel we fit in in the United States, as well as interactions that we have had with the police. Now, this wasn't planned. It was an organic conversation that just happened. It was two Filipino-American men speaking their truth. But as I was listening back to the interview, it became clear to me that if our conversation took place today, that it would be a much different conversation, different in tone, different in substance. And so the entire Breakfast team and Ramon agreed that we need to add to this conversation to reflect how we are feeling today, which for the record is June 19th, Juneteenth. So we're going to start our show now. And then at the end of the recorded show, I'm going to call Ramon Diocampo and continue our conversation and see how we are feeling in the current climate of the world. Enjoy the show. My guest today is Ramon Diocampo, and he's had roles on so many TV shows, it's hard to even narrow it down. But you West Wing fans will know him as Otto in season seven, so hold on to your briefcases. And yes, that's an inside joke for the West Wing fans. In addition, he was in Triple X State of the Union, so who's ready for some Ice Cube talk? And if you've ever read an audiobook, you've probably heard his voice on hundreds of audiobooks. In fact, he just won a major award, and it's not a sexy leg lamp that says Fragile, trust me. So let's get to it. We've got Ramon Diocampo in the studio today on Breakfast. Pick it up! Welcome to Breakfast with Brent Pope. Breakfast. This young lady just smashed the lids on all these cakes in the bakery section. <laughs> my uh, guest today. Oh, I'm going to need to hear all about that. He adds character to my crew. <laughs> As you just said, you're not a prostitute. What? Welcome to Breakfast with Brent Pope. Great place to hang out and good food, too. I'm always playing blue-collar guys. Somebody screwed through the pipe. I wouldn't jump up and down until we stabilize the hydraulics. Some salsa and some sour cream some guacamole. Who doesn't love that? It's breakfast time. The only show where bacon, pancakes, Hollywood. I'm your host, Brent Pope. Yes, Ramon. Yes. Welcome to the breakfast studio. Brilliant. Brilliant. Glad to be here. You are known for being in a lot of TV shows mm-hmm. and movies and have narrated a bunch of audiobooks. But before all that, you know, you were born in the Philippines like I was, mm-hmm. and but you grew up in Virginia. Did that experience form your uh, core as a performer in some way? Yeah, for sure. You know, I think I'm cribbing this from Randy Rebuy, and I'm, I'm sorry if, if I'm if it's somebody else, but I'm pretty sure it's Randy, uh, who's an author, who's a, and he says that he likes to say that he represents the hyphenates. Um, and I, I love that because I always, I'm always like, yeah, I'm the slash something. You know, mm-hmm. I'm the you, the Filipino slash Spanish slash I grew up in the South, you know, yeah. slash, like I'm in Virginia. And it, it's interesting because I feel like that I the identity that, that we that 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 kind of imparts it. Um, it doesn't actually you don't actually get clarity on it until until much later. And usually you're, and for us, I think probably you too, like the. What I get much later is that you're probably never going to get any clarity on this. You know? Yeah. It's going to be a strange journey. And as an actor, everybody's always telling you, like, oh, what's your niche? What do you, what's the thing that you do? What do you? And it's hard to be like, 
you know, I'm not sure. I come from these very different backgrounds uh -huh. and these very different um, kind of like strata or even like literal castes of society, yeah. C-A-S-T-E, right. of society, all at the same time. Um, and and I never struggled with that until like you became an actor and, that's, and part of your job is to figure out like, oh, well, what is the thing that you sell or what is, you know, and I... Um, I think I think there's something there that you know. Of course, that it absolutely formed my um, my whatever noun you just used. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, a little bit of everything that we that we experience turns us into the people that we are. Um, a common thing that we were kind of talking about when we were talking about doing this, uh, the Brantford show with you, was you know the whole thing of like where do we fit in in the world? Because like my dad is white, my mom's Filipino. I was born in the Philippines, but if I go back to the Philippines, I'm definitely not considered a Filipino. Uh, I'm considered white. Right. But in the United States, I'm definitely not considered white. So where do I f have that place where I kind of feel like I fit in? And maybe you're right. Maybe I'm never going to get clarity on that. What, what do you think about that? Um, you know, not not to not to say our actual ages, but I think that part of it is well, we're our, nearly forty. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think part of it is, is generational. I don't know if my kids, and I'm, I'm expecting right now. Yeah, so congratulations my, my coming. Uh, I don't know if they will have the same experience that we have. Like we are, we are in an age where we are transitional. Um, you know, my parents came from the Philippines, but my, my mother's parents came from Spain. So, you know, even there they were transitioning. Like my, my mom grew up in a Spanish-speaking household um, mm -hmm. in the Philippines. And, and in Virginia, when, when I was there, I'm, I'm sure my mom and my dad were interested in me, you know, keeping some Tagalog or some Spanish. Uh -huh. um, but, but there was none. Uh, and and we didn't speak any. We, you know, we all we all ended up sounding like everybody in Northern Virginia, like Brian Gumble. Like it now, was, was so like neutral. Was that intentional on on your parents' part because they wanted you to fit in, or was it because there was just no one else to speak it with other than your parents, and that's there's so there's no reason. That's so interesting that you say that because I feel like I have for some reason never had a real conversation with my parents about it. So my assumption is that if I have a conversation with them, both my mom and dad would be like, no, it would have been great if you spoke some Tagalog. And the, uh -huh. they'd be like, oh, yeah, you used to walk around the house, you know, speaking Tagalog words. And we'd always, you know, mm -hmm. there's so much Taglish thrown around the house. Uh, and my my And my thought on the outside of that is, I think there was an intentional feeling in the community at the time that your job is to integrate. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a that's a common occurrence with first generation people that your job is to integrate, to become like the society that we're we're a part of right now yeah. and to not make any waves. So sound like everyone, be like everyone. And I think I don't think that they necessarily did me a disservice. I feel like there's somewhere in there where I never felt like an outsider until I started working as an actor. Yeah. I never did. I was just, you know, I grew up in like Catholic schools in Virginia um, where there are already kind of a mixed group of people, um, although primarily everybody was white. But it, I, I feel like I grew up a, a middle class white kid in the suburbs of Virginia. And then I learned that I was not. 
Uh, and maybe I was actually a low-class New Yorkian who didn't know it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> which is, you know, which is one of those things where you, you come out of school and you're like, how do how do you work? I don't, you know, I, yeah. I'm not, I don't sound like this. I don't. And, uh, right. But I do think that it's part of, like, our transition, you know, where we were. I remember very clearly the, the only time I've been to the Philippines, I was, I think, nine. And I went exploring. My mom lives on a little island, Leyte, mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. was, I think, uh, a famous area during uh, World War II. Yeah, for sure. Um, but very small uh, town. And I went exploring, and I happened to walk upon the like the one-room one classroom, one-room school. Right, right, right. Everybody saw Outside me. Outside. Yeah. Yeah, of course. They saw me and just everyone left their class and just started chasing me. And I was like, what <laughs> is happening? I ran all the way back Running to my beach. my grandparents' house, which was a hut. Yeah. You know, a bamboo hut. And they said they'd never seen a white person before. And that blew my mind because I was like, right. wait, but I'm, I'm never considered a white person in the United States. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. Uh, right. And I celebrate both sides of, you know, of, of my ethnicities. But uh, that just blew my mind, you know, because I've, I've had this thought that, like, well, I kind of don't fit in where I am. It's going to be different when I go to the Philippines. And then it just wasn't. And it's even represented in, like, I had been watching when that show Fresh Off the Boat came out. That sure. was the first time I ever watched a TV show where I was like, this is almost like my family. Oh, it's literally my family because I, I, I was like, they, well, obviously not literally my family, but they're they're like, they moved from D.C., right? So yeah, that's true. They were. In. I was like, they're <laughs> D.C. Down... to Orlando. Yeah, yeah, but they were fine in D.C. Apparently, like they yeah. didn't recognize it. But I was like, yeah, that's me. Like I'm outside of D.C. Like they, you know, if I suddenly moved to some place that, you know, Orlando seems like they'd be all right there too. But I, you know, my guess is they moved to particular parts of yeah. Orlando. Or, yeah, I got very lucky with that community. Right. Um, but I think there, you know, I I know that there's like a lot of conversation now in the world, and I, you know, I apologize for if if I use incorrect terminology, but I think there are varying degrees of whiteness that, you know, w- w- uh, that we are kind of making our way through right now, uh, understanding what that means. And and I think part of it obviously has to do with, with skin tone, but I think part of it has to do uh, with privilege, you know? And there's there's no way in America now you and me would ever be considered white. Right. You know, we 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 wouldn't we don't get we don't get looked at that way um uh we we don't get treated that way i had a girlfriend once yeah. who didn't understand why we why we were being pulled over and i was like i get pulled over sometimes and she was like that's not true and i was like y- you watch and and it was true like each, it, you know it pulled me over for having like tinted windows in my prius you know that's <laughs> so interesting and i was wow. and she was like and she got all mad at him and she started yelling and i was like i was like you cannot do that you know yeah. This just, this this is what happens. She was like, I'm so mad for that. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, we don't talk that much about this type of stuff on the show, but I, I, I right. live, <laughs> Sorry. no, 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 I'm it's like, fine. I'm like I, sinking I'm, I'm the to- Brent fast. But no, because, <laughs> no, because I don't have, look, you and I are like, I'm like, wow, you are, this yeah. is like the same stuff I've experienced. Uh, so I, I don't mention it because I haven't had any other Filipino Americans on the show yet. Right. So, uh, but I grew up in Nebraska, which I think is, is probably less diverse than uh, uh, DC. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Yeah. But there was a time when I bought a car at a at a telephone company auction. It was yellow, ugly yellow Chevy Nova. Oh, you're done. Yeah. A car that no one would buy. That is a pull me it over. It still car. said telephone company on the side. <laughs> About a hundred people bought a car at that auction. 
before I had driven a mile away from that auction, I had been pulled over three times. Yeah. So, look, that's not a coincidence. Oh, no. I had a and, sky blue Toyota Corolla. That, <laughs> and, I, and I got pulled over in that all the time. Just It just happened to me uh, last year. Me and my, Freddy, my buddy Jesse, who's Mexican, he has a nice car. We were pulling into his apartment complex, and there was a cop like two blocks away from us. And as soon as he hit the clicker to go into his apartment complex, that cop like rolled up super fast and hit his lights. And then he came up, and he was like, oh, I just wanted to uh, see. It didn't look like you had your uh, sticker for your, yeah. Oh no, the sticker's right there. Oh, okay. Uh, well, uh, and it's like, wait. Yeah. There's yeah. the sticker. Why are you still looking, dude? Like, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, to be clear, none of those cops have ever been mean. To no, me, no, no. But they all stop me. They all and, stop me. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I got stopped a I've, bunch. I've talked to some of my friends who are, you know, who are not Filipino, who are white, and they're like, that's not my experience at all. Yeah. So, so it kind of tells you that you're like, no, no, we're not. White people like white people right. here, but you know, you you go to Manila uh, it, when when I go on vacation or something. You're treated different there too. You're not treated like somebody local, which is not it's not necessarily bad. Like it doesn't yeah it doesn't feel bad, uh-huh. but you you know that oh I'm an outsider in a way that feels like we at least uh, where where I where I go to yeah I'm like in a privileged place. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I don't know, even like in acting, I used to say like there's something interesting when you start exploring um, the roles I explored, especially in the theater where I kind of grew up um, on a, in a high class um, Filipino or, or Filipino and Spanish or yeah. mestiza world in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And then here, kind of like a lower middle class American, you yeah. know, doing their best to get by and mow people's lawns and, mm-hmm. you know, and treated a very particular way that right. I did, I was or was not aware of. Right. You know? Yeah. I, I don't want to talk too much about this, but your dad's kind of famous in the Philippines. Yes. Yes, he, he is. Uh, he is. was the... He's famous around the world. Secretary yeah. of Finance, right? He was the Secretary of Finance, the Minister of Finance of the Philippines. He was the, the Chairman of the Development Bank. He ran for President. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, That's pretty cool. I mean, how was that, like, when that, how old were you when those things were happening? I feel he, I feel like he ran for president when I was like a freshman in college. Okay, Something so like that. any impact did that have on you? How I mean, what was that like? I mean, I'm really I'm I'm really proud of my dad. You know, um, so I, I thought it was really exciting. Yeah, I didn't I didn't find any of it really like it didn't have like a negative impact on me. Right, except it made me very interested. My dad is really good at. Um, being able to put complicated economic ideas into simple spoken English. So you you get you you feel like, oh, why didn't I understand that? But it's because right. they're complicated economic ideas. Well and he's he's considered kind of like a hero in the Philippines because he helped their yeah. economy go from, you know, my hands way down by the ground down right. here to up here, yeah, they called it the tiger economy. It was the only the only economy that did well in Southeast Asia during the big um, during the big depression. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and he gets calls all the time um, from from world leaders. He's he's part of a uh, like gigantic world economic forces, mm-hmm. you know. And and uh, and you'd never know that meeting him. He's he's just a fun and humble. You know, you feel like he's a he's a guitar playing blues singer. Yeah, he does. He like he sings in nightclubs. That's he's awesome. like he's that guy. But yeah, I I I think that um, what what's interesting about him and running for president and stuff is that he's not really political. He's mm-hmm. he's more 
his his platform was more economical. Okay. Uh, you know, it's, he's very practical. Um, that's so no, it's a really interesting. It's a really interesting uh, world to kind of like connect to. Yeah. Yeah. I just find that so interesting. You know, I don't I don't know anyone else who's whose father has run for president of any country. You know, <laughs> I mean, he's at like you know. T- lunch with the queen and he's sat with the emperor and he's Jeez, you know he's like a, an order he's like a knight in four different ways wow. <laughs> like in France and in England and Philippines like yeah he's yeah that's that's really interesting but getting back to the the thing that we were talking about yeah. with um with identities mm-hmm. and being uh and, and being first generation yeah. it, I I feel the same way I I don't run into tons of people who who connect like we do uh, yeah. as a sort of like, I'm outside here, I'm outside there. Um, but I feel like I married one and she is definitely a white skinned woman, mm-hmm. <laughs> like my my wife, but she's British and she's, uh, she's British who has been in LA since she was 19 and has always felt that same feeling yeah, of like I'm really not from here and when she goes back to England we go to Liverpool where she's from she's yeah. like I'm really not from here either and they treat me like I'm not from here yeah. they treat me like I have yeah. a they treat me like I have an American accent now and yeah. she's not my wife but she's not far from an American accent but uh yeah that was I mean I look another thing that I had was I was in the Navy for a couple of years and there's a lot of Filipinos mm-hmm. that are from the Philippines one of the only ways you yeah, uh, I don't uncle's- know if it's yeah. I don't know if that's still the same thing, but you used to be able to, if you joined the U.S. Navy from the Philippines, you could become a citizen. Yes, I, don't, I feel like Trump was doing all sorts of hamstringing of that recently, right? Like, as recently as like a year ago or something. But so, um, yeah, so, so they were all, way. and they, and you know, what's what's crazy is I don't know if you know this. They are only allowed to join the Navy as a corpsman, which is like a nurse. Or a cook, and I believe that was the only two things they could join as if they're straight out of the Philippines. Oh, so my uncle was a cook on the. On well, there the Navy. you go. Yeah, that um, makes sense. So I, I was kind of excited when, when there was a lot of, you know, Filipinos in the because the first time I had been in a thing where I was like, there's a bunch of other Filipinos here, right. you know, that I see all the time. Um, and then since I, but then the first question, what do you, what's the first question they always ask you? Uh, where are you from in the Philippines, or what are you eating? <laughs> or do you speak Tagalog? Right? Oh, right, right. And so, and then it was almost like when I said no to that, it was just like, then you have, <laughs> you right. do not pass, sir. Sorry. <laughs> it's true. Well, it's not. It's not just that. Like when I'm in Spain or I'm in Mexico mm-hmm. or uh, you know when I when I take vacations, everybody speaks to me in Spanish. Yeah, I've got like curly hair. My because yeah. my mom is my mom's Basque and her 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 mother's last name is actually Castillo. Like okay. it's, yeah, you know and. Uh, so everybody tries to speak to me in Spanish, and I was yeah. like, "Wow, I failed! I failed as a." Uh, well, I, I hope maybe my kid is sort of like, "Oh, I really want to get deep into my roots and, you know, study language." Or I mean, something. it's tough though when you're a kid; you're just worried about like making friends, and you know, uh, and the last thing you want to do is like, "Oh, I got to speak this other language that my other friends don't speak." I don't know. I had no idea it was going to like alienate me later in life. Right. I thought, right. I, thought I was like, I'm just doing extra credit here. <laughs> I studied Spanish in school, and I feel I like too. me and my wife both speak just about as much Spanish as yep. each other. I took two years of Spanish yeah. in, in college and one year in, in high school, and I'm still not very good at speaking Spanish. I thought it was um, awesome in, in high school. I was just coasting by. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Switching gears, one of the things you are known for is uh, you played Otto on the West Wing for 10 episodes in season seven of the West Wing. What is the biggest thing you learned being on an iconic show 
like that. Um, it's so interesting getting on that show because uh, that was my favorite show. Uh, it's my that was my favorite show that I've ever been on. That's uh, that that was sort of my pinnacle of what I felt like we should be we should be doing as 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 you know artists telling stories. Uh, um, I I loved the way the dialogue worked. I you know. Uh, I think that was the show that really showed me the level of ensemble that television is um, inside of the production. Uh, I'd been a guest star on other shows. Uh, I'd done a couple of movies. I, I was, I mean, I was relatively young then, but I had I had done a few things before I got The West Wing, and it was The West Wing with these with these actors who I, I really already looked up to um, and this style that I really loved and looked up to. Um, but it was there that I felt like we were a bunch of, uh, we were like a theater troupe. Yeah. Um, they they love to rehearse, you know, they love to throw lines out, they love to figure out their blocking and it felt like my tribe. And I, I hadn't really felt that on TV and I'm, I still look for it um, in TV and film. And it, it's funny now because, uh, you know, I, I tend to be somebody who's been around mm-hmm. a little bit when I get to those sets. And then I wasn't. And I remember feeling like I got to take a step back and a step down and just, you know, observe what this thing is, what, you know, yeah. what they create there. But it's it's that. It was that real, real feeling like everybody cared what was going on. Nobody felt... Nobody uh, established themselves as bigger than anyone else. Um, you know, Bradley Whitford hazing me was the coolest thing. Uh, that's and amazing. Then, yeah, yeah. I actually think I, I got, you know, at least a call back at the West Wing by doing a Bradley Whitford impression. Really? The, yeah. Yeah, I, cool. feel, I feel like I didn't, I, you know, I had got the lines and I was like, there aren't that many lines to audition with. And I remember being like, I'll just... Okay, I'll do. I'll do it like Bradley. And yeah. then, and I remember... Uh, it being very funny in the audition, yeah. And then, oh, that's but interesting. Uh, yeah, I f- it, it really was the the first time that I thought like, oh, this is what I feel like I wanted it to feel like mm-hmm. creating art in television, you yeah. know. And I'd felt that in the theater. Um, and interestingly, Alice and Janney and I had done Taming of the Shrew together in the park, maybe six years or seven. Well, it must have been six because I was on season seven, right? Yeah. So six years earlier, while she was shooting the pilot for the West Wing, or she had just shot the pilot, and she was doing, she was doing the, she was doing Shrew in the Park, and I remember sitting, sitting with her backstage and asking her what she was planning on next, and she said, "Well, you know, we shot this pilot, and uh, I really love it, but it's, it's really a bunch of theater nerds uh, and a playwright." And I don't know if anybody's going to be that interested in, like, you know, walking the halls of the White House. Right. And I was like, this sounds interesting, you know? Because <laughs> she was like, it's going to be like ER at the White House. I don't know if that's going to fly. And, you know. It flew. History. Yeah. It turns out it did. When uh, I showed up there that, that first day, she, like, gave me a huge bear hug. And I remember her grabbing my script and, and saying, uh, what team are you on? What team are you on? So we were, she was very nice. excited I was on the, the Democratic team. Very cool. Well, I have some questions after I watched your arc in season seven. Yes. And this is just your opinion, I think, unless yeah, okay, you know. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, do you believe 
that you were responsible for for losing Matt Santos's briefcase. <laughs> That's the presidential candidate played by Jimmy Smith. Did you lose his briefcase, or were you, or were you just being blamed? I couldn't possibly have lost that briefcase. I don't think it was my responsibility. I think uh, Matthew Del Negro, who was playing Bram, right? right? Yeah, we all sounded like a bunch of, you know, German villains. You're like Bram and Otto. <laughs> It's, it's like Rana and Donna. We're they the, do. Yeah, Vintage. The yeah. guy that's running against him. Vintage also sounds <laughs> we're, like... We're all like in a, in a Bullwinkle show or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, there was, at some point you were like, Bram, Otto, come. I, I feel like Bram was his... his Right hand man, like he, he was the he was the new Charlie. Right, like he should have had that. He should have had that. He was know. real quick, quick to blame you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. He, okay, we that that's interesting. I that particular that particular episode where where the briefcase gets lost. Mm-hmm. Um, the direction on inside of Air Force One um, was you say these lines as fast as you possibly can. Right, and I remember being like, I don't think we can say this any faster. And Matt Del Negro being like, I don't know, man, I don't even know what I'm saying. I don't even know if you finished yet. I'm just saying it as fast as I can. Right. Um, yeah, well, it came out good. I think she was right. That was, yeah. that was good direction. Yeah. Say it as fast as you can. Wow. Um, okay, I have another question. Yes. On the episode where the staffers had a night off, mm-hmm. and you guys are drinking. Yes. And yes. people start peeling off to go to sleep, quote unquote, sleep. Right. Right. Uh, I got the impression that you snuck off to have a fling with Janine Garofalo's character. Oh, I definitely did. True or false? True? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. I mean, the there's a there's a morning after scene yeah. later on in that episode, which I guess they don't they don't, I don't say it, obviously. I don't think they say it. And I don't I I was looking for like when you guys were next to each other if there's any you guys your characters played it off really well. There is a moment where I think I take her a coffee. And I yeah. give her a smile, and she goes, what, do you want another hug or something? <laughs> like something. Okay. Or like, you want an award? But, yeah, I think that was gonna. I think that was a thing, and I think it was going to be a thing. Yeah, because Bradley Whitford's character, you know, has said, wait, did I miss that? And I was like, okay, wait, are they are yes. they not sure that they had a thing, or did they have a thing? I was curious for about sure, that. For sure there was a thing, and I, I, you know, you know, the sad news really is, I feel like if John Spencer, and this has been said enough yeah. inside of the West Wing lore, that if, like, if. If Spencer hadn't passed, and it was incredibly sad when it happened, yeah. but if if he hadn't, I think we would have been up for at least another year. Right. You know? I think they, I think the writers got very interested in what it would mean for uh, a, another staff. Like, what would yeah. it mean to rethink this? Especially by season seven, they had this, uh, this they had this remarkable writing staff who. Um, like I said, presaged the Obama administration by calling um, then Senator Obama's uh, guys and saying, if we were running, you know, Barack Obama for president, what would you do? And you're like, well, it would never happen, but this would have to happen and this yeah. would have to happen and this would have to happen. And that's what they wrote in. Wow. In fact, on inside of the episode, inside the Halloween episode, I was on the bus with that whole cast when we found out George Bush, two one again. Oh wow! Yeah, so that that's how far back it, it yeah predated the Obama administration. Because when you watch season seven now, you think, oh, they just cribbed all this from Obama. Yeah, which um, it's just not the case. No, yeah, I actually case. had I was looking at it going, wow, they 
like four oh, years Obama before. Obama had like, yeah, <laughs> Obama happened in the aftermath of this. That's crazy. Yeah, way in the aftermath. and But seems so much like this is in its wake and it yeah. just wasn't. And it's, it's such a smart show. And you, even now, if you, you know, there's some jokes that definitely don't land anymore. Right. <laughs> that, you, that I think everybody would rethink. But uh, other than that, you know, uh, there, there, some fans have been doing these um, watchathons and stuff that I've I've joined in on, and um, and it you still get hit hard by by the West Wing. That's, that's yeah, so it's, good. Look, it's it's a great show. Uh, congrats on on that last season that you had. It, you know, just being part of something like that is is amazing. So yeah, uh, hats yeah. off and to you. We claw our way back to <laughs> trying to get something like that again. <laughs> Who are some of your influences as a performer? Um, you know, I was thinking about that. You, you kind of like uh, softballed that at me mm-hmm. earlier. Um, and and I, I was like, I don't want to give some uh, like lame duck, a lame duck answer uh, to that, you know. Right. But I, I didn't, I didn't become a performer because like there was someone who inspired me. Um, I was a painter. Uh, like the, like my story had always been I was a painter and I was an oil painter through all of high school and, and that's what I did and then somewhere towards the end of high school I started doing like like painting scenery in um, for the drama department and then I had gone away for like a kind of a summer governor school and I connected to these actors and there was something about painting that felt very lonely as a career. You know, yeah. the idea of, like, being alone in a studio, painting, and then, like, standing outside it and looking at it, um, and then having to sell it, you know, yeah. your, kind of your heart and soul. And I feel like acting really gave me a way into the painting. Um, it made me feel like part of the story I felt like I wanted to tell, you know, part of, a, like, a world that I wanted to tell. So I, I don't know. Like, I feel like... There was there was no real point where I was like, oh, I want a career like that guy, or I want that stuff. Like the stuff that really stuck out to me was, um, I liked certain things in dialogue. Yeah, I liked I liked hearing certain stories. I liked how stories made me feel. Mm-hmm. You know, which I don't know if that's like the reason to become an actor, but I feel like I didn't. I th- I thought I was going to go on these big adventures. You yeah. know, um, I didn't need to be Harrison Ford, but I was like, you know. I, I want to take an adventure like Indiana Jones, or I thought that's what movie making was. And um, I feel like I saw Les Mis in high school, and I was like, what? There's, there's like, acting in the theater that feels like something that can make me feel like this. And, you know, I very sadly thought I was I was going to be, like, a song and dance guy, and I, I was very wrong, <laughs> uh, which is fine with me now, but I, I, I'm so sorry to all my college friends who had to deal with me <laughs> blasting my... My half-assing. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I guess, you know, the, I feel like much later on, the, the, uh, I feel like Mark Ruffalo really connected to things that okay. I hadn't seen people do. And actors that can... Look, I, I, I have like a big love for actors who can disappear, you mm-hmm. know? I think, um, I think when they do... And it might be because of my age. Like at at one point, everybody needed to be Gary Oldman, and you know, like everybody needed to be these sort of disappearing tricks. And I I love that. I think that's really cool. But really, what I connect to now, and when I first remember connecting to actors, are are actors who can somehow bring their most vulnerable selves 
to their performances. That, that and and it's them, you know. Yeah. And I know there's so many people who, when I was growing up, they're like, well, you know, that guy always does this himself, or that guy always does. And I feel like I can hang my hat on yeah. a lot of tricks. Not, I don't want to say tricks because it, it's not, but I can. I can hang my hat on stuff if you give me a ton of things to do. Yeah. I've, you know, I've got a broken leg and a hump and a lisp and whatever it is. Yeah. You know, like I'm there. Like I can get in. Um, Yeah. I can get to the cores of those emotions and like create that. But what really connected me was when I would watch actors actually try to do their best to get out of the way and, and um, allow a camera or an audience to, to really get in close with them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you feel them, I think, you feel them there and scared and vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. And so I always, it's much easier for me to do on stage, but I, I always look for, I've always been connected to those actors who I sense like that's what their journey is. Mm-hmm. You know? I I don't, I don't have any like funny feelings about actors who are like, oh, they play that thing every time. I'm like, yeah, I think they're exploring it. I I think they are. I think there's something very deep about looking for that stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think people like Leo DiCaprio really look for that. And, you know, there's some disappearing that he does, but it's not what he does. Right. You know? What he does seems to be to like find the honesty and where this character Mm -hmm. fits inside them. Um, Yeah. So I I don't know if that helps, (laughs) you know? Yeah. When you said disappeared, I mean, uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, I. It's like that Daniel Day Lewis thing, right? Like, that guy's not here, and you're like, mm, yeah. I kind of thought of uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman when you said that, yeah. like the late Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think you're right. But you know, I I met Phil Hoffman a few times in New York, like in the theater, mm-hmm. which we shared like like dressing room spaces, right. and Stuff at like at the public, and uh, you know, I think he did do this thing that, that he disappeared. But you know, the thing that that Phil did that was that's so remarkable is he you never lost sight of his vulnerability yeah. like he didn't disappear so far that that what he was doing was pretending it wasn't him yeah you know yeah and i feel like people who are bowed down good like yeah. daniel day lewis mm-hmm. like disappear true and yeah kind of forget yeah, you're right. themselves and and i get that it's there's there's something in there that's so easy not not easy but like there's a way to be like all right i'm gonna I'm going to kind of hypnotize myself into this character. And as long as I keep believing it, I'll be able to like, every time you say action, I'm still this thing. And I feel like Phil Hoffman was was really interested in being like, well, what are all those things that I would have been had I had right. that person's life? Yeah. Um, rather than like, what is this person's life? You know, I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does it, make sense. Would you put very um, crafty talk? It's very crafty talk. It is very crafty. But yeah. you know, we have a lot of actors in the audience and and uh, people that want to be actors. So it's it's yeah, yeah. It's, in, it's great inside information. Would you put Joaquin Phoenix in the disappearing category? Uh, no, actually, I don't think I would. I, yeah. and, and I'm just saying that really quickly now because yeah. as soon as you said that, I thought of the Joker and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But even that, I think he's sort of flexed his muscles yeah. inside of that stuff. And I, I feel like, you know, the but I, I don't think he I don't think he is. I think he's very interested in the stuff that makes him tick. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, I really admire that. Mm-hmm. Um I, I wouldn't even put like De Niro in that. I feel right. like, yeah, you can have a physical transformation, yeah. raging yeah, bull, yeah. but what he's looking for is De Niro. He's right. looking for him. And uh, I think that there's something I think there's a big trap in looking from for 
you know, as many skins as you can put on. Yeah. Um, rather than maybe like growing it from a, a seed mm-hmm. and then it takes much longer, you know, growing from seed and seeing like, okay, if I, if I, if I actually grow this, so the skin gets thicker and thicker, right. you know, hopefully I'll have had enough time with it to present it. That's why yeah. I, uh, in the theater, it's a little bit easier to explore that because there's so much time for rehearsal and the, you know, the text is already finished and it's, it's not like that in TV. Like uh, oftentimes you're you're getting pages on the fly and it's all instinctual. And I really admire television actors who still can do this, who still yeah. can grab a piece of, of dialogue, uh, own the thing, uh, and still be able to to deliver this kind of like intimacy. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. And that is our show for today. We had... So much to talk about with Ramon Diocampo that we will have another full episode with Ramon in part two of his interview next week. Be sure to follow Ramon on Instagram and Twitter at, at Ramon Diocampo. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at, at Scoops Pope. And for all those sweet breakfast pics, you can also follow my Facebook actor page, facebook.com backslash actor. If you like the show, subscribe. Give us a review. It's all very appreciated. And with that, we are at the conclusion of another episode at Brentwist with Brent Pope. Everybody stay safe and stay informed. See ya. Hello. Ramon Diocampo. Hello, Brent Pope. Good to talk with you. Um, since the last time we talked, a lot of things have changed in the world. Oh, yeah. It has been a brutal few weeks. Absolutely. Brutal. How are you dealing with all this? You know, I think um, you know, I think it's a constant, a, a constant panic attack. Like it's just this big wave of uh, of of sadness and fear and panic and what to do next. And um, I don't know if we talked about it when I was there, but you know, uh, um, my wife and I are having a baby. I feel like that was still I wasn't talking about that yet, especially now after these last. After these last few weeks, the idea of bringing a baby into this world, you know, and, and what that means and what it means um, being a person of color bringing a baby into this world, all, all of that is weighs heavily, you know. Yeah. You know, and to me, the, the big incident that, that kind of was the big sparking of everything was, you know, the, the, the murder that everyone saw happen before their very eyes yeah. on television of George Floyd. And that right. led to all these protests, which I think is going to lead to a lot of change. And hopefully yeah. sooner rather than later. But yeah, I, I'm feeling at this moment too, a little bit like you. I think I'm a little more on the the angry spectrum. I never thought that a, a part of what I have done doing this show and doing my comedy is to help make white people in power more comfortable about this subject of race and the inequality of it and how the black community has been has been treated. And I, and me personally, I'm just not going to do that anymore. I don't feel like I have to make it nice for white people. I, I can be honest and uh, and I have to be honest and not sugarcoat it. Right. I'm simply not in the mood to like handhold or make excuses for people who are, you know, choosing to be on the wrong side of history, to be quite honest. You know, I brought you on the show because this show is about positivity, not negativity and inclusivity, not excluding people. But I, I want to be positive right. and inclusive to people who respect and acknowledge that the black community has been, you know, held down and put at a disadvantage 
and brutalized both literally and figuratively by, you know, not only law enforcement, but lawmakers and American society in general. If, you, if you're not paying attention or you don't, you know, care about your fellow man, I guess you could be on the opposite side of that. But if you do, Black Lives Matter. Yes, every life is precious, right? But if I see a man break his leg and he needs help and he says, hey, help me, I broke my leg, I'm not gonna say, well, all limbs matter. What about my limbs? You know, I'm gonna help the guy who's in need at that moment. It's, it's literally insane to me that people um, are against this movement or are actively working against it or or, or see this movement as wrong. I, I, it's, it's strange. It really like makes no sense to me. And I know it happens every day. I know it happens from the top. You know, when I talk about making it nice for white people, I'm, it's it's kind of a general statement in which I'm like, even when we talked, you you had said all the cops were nice to me and I kind of went along with it, but they weren't all nice to me. And I was like, why didn't I just say that some of them weren't nice to me? You know, because we're, I'm trying to make it fit in a little box, uh, but I, I'm, I'm done with that. I think in light of recent events, I think we are all asked to re-examine ourselves. Yes. You know, uh, yeah. I think that that, that includes um, we people of color. Absolutely are kind of non-traditional, non-binary. I don't know like what the correct terminology is, but you know, one of the things that re really resonated me in the light of recent events, the, the brutal murder of George Floyd, is that, you know, that there's a stark understanding that being a person of color doesn't necessarily, doesn't mean that our experiences are the same as black people in America. It just, it just isn't. And it's absolutely you know? not the same. And that was one thing I wanted yeah. to make clear when we were talking, we weren't saying our experience is the same because it's not at all. In fact, this was just an organic conversation that just kind of happened. Like we, I think we might have touched on that too. There's almost that idea of our proximity, for mm -hmm. lack of a better word, to whiteness makes us more acceptable and therefore, in a, in a way, definitely right. privileged in American society. You know. But like you said, I think the important thing about this, I think what what you said that struck me is, you know, the black community needs for all of us to speak up. If it's just the black community speaking up and we're not all helping, we're all part of this. I would hope if we were in the same situation, they would help us and I believe they would. So we can't sit in silence. That's not an option anymore because that's what we've been doing. Yes, we're on their side, but we haven't been speaking out like we should be. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not gonna be on that side. I'm going to speak out and that's what I'm gonna do going forward. That's what's changed for me the most, I think. Yeah, in fact, I've, I've sort of really connected to the moniker of, um, do you, have you heard of the, the NBPOC acronym recently? There have been two acronyms that have been shooting okay. around. That's BIPOC and NBPOC. I don't know if you've heard them, but BIPOC is black and indigenous, and black, mm -hmm. indigenous, and people of color. Right. Right. And the idea, although I know that it's a layered one, um, is partly to understand that a different part of society with them connected to what happens in this racist society uh, that is different for people of color. Yeah. And the idea of NBPOCs is the idea that there are people of color that are not black. And you can stand up for Black Lives Matter without saying that I am also um, the same as them. And I feel like right. it's important to go, no, from my uh, situation, from where I am, it, it, with the privilege that I have, I see what happens to uh, black people in America and in the world, really. Yeah. That is important. And it doesn't mean at all that our personal experiences, people of color are being treated as other or less than inside of America is is uh, is is less than anything. Um, I mean, last week, did you see the Filipino man at the end of that white Karen who didn't believe that he actually owned a home in San Francisco calling the cops on him? Right. The, the Black Lives Matter on his retaining wall? Yeah. I mean, he was Filipino. Yeah. And yesterday, I watched a video from New York 
man attacking a, a Korean man at a grocery store, calling him a gook. I mean, uh. yesterday, it's awful. But at, at the same time, what we're talking about right now in the world is, is Black Lives Matter. Exactly. Um, and it's, it's ridiculous that we're still talking about it. I, I couldn't be more embarrassed for myself, uh, for my... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I grew up in America, so my American education, yeah. I didn't know what Juneteenth was. Uh, I didn't know, I never had a history test that had that on it. Um, that was not on my citizenry test when I when I became a citizen of the country. Uh, I can't believe I learned about, like, Tulsa, Oklahoma massacre. I'm watching, but watch me. Abs- you know what, and I, and, I saw, and I saw a writer talking about that on Twitter today, and today is Juneteenth, yeah. you know, where we celebrate the last of the slaves were notified that Emancipation Proclamation had been done. In Texas, two years after it happened, they were notified in Texas. So, you know, today we, we should be celebrating that as as we always should. But yeah, I also, I saw that on Twitter where a writer was saying, why does it take the show Atlanta for me to learn about Juneteenth? Because I didn't know either. And, you know, I'm married to a woman who is, I'm married to a woman who's half black. Uh, I didn't know about Black Wall Street. I learned about that from Watchmen also, you know? So I'm ashamed of myself. I can't believe I looked it up and I was like, oh my God, this is the real thing and what is wrong with me why don't i know this this conversation why was it not taught right so i i I think you're right it's a time for us all to examine ourselves and what part we've played in allowing this to happen because if we all spoke out more if we were all working towards the same thing it it would be much easier you know we've let the black community we've let them down and i'm not going to do that anymore that's 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 my vow i do mean to do it in a big and positive way Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But yes. True. I mean to do it with some passion and some verb. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The other question that I was kind of thinking about this week is, you know, we're part of an industry that hasn't been the most inclusive, to say the least, the entertainment industry. I'm hoping, and what do you think, that the entertainment industry, their response, if, will it be a good enough response? Will there be a response? I know there's some things happening. I mean, I think it's very difficult to, because... How do you set the bar on that response? You know, like you, it it, it feels like it will, it could never be enough. And right, um, and it's very. I think we spoke about that when we had our conversation about the idea of like, well, you could just open up your Entertainment Weekly magazine and count the faces. Like you, you know, when right, it's, when it's not equal. You know, but I think like the steps in the right direction, especially by by including people of color and and specifically black people inside the boardrooms, inside the inside the decision-making, inside the creative control, feel like that representation matters so much yeah. um, that that is what is going to change the conversation that we see on TV and in movies. Um, because up until now, you know, I, I've not seen myself and I've not seen enough of my black friends. It, doesn't, it still doesn't look like the world that I see every day right. um, on TV. Absolutely. Uh, it just doesn't, you know. It still looks like white people taking me on a story and then they test black friends. Yeah. And that's, it's just not how I experience the world. Well, I want to see movement. Obviously, like you said, it's probably, it's going to be hard for it to be enough. But I want to see movement and not just like some some kind of knee-jerk reaction and then uh, in, in six months, everything goes back to how it was before. I think that's what, I think constant forward movement towards towards what we're looking for is what, what I would be, you know, I would, I guess, not be happy with, but that's what I want to see as a, as a sign of at least, you know, the, the, the industry that I work in moving towards the right place. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm hoping that we hit a, a tipping point and, 
from here on out, nobody will question why we're still asking these questions. Right. You know, nobody will ask us why we're we're annoyed with representation or, or you know, we keep bringing it up again. I'm hoping that this is something that people recognize. Um, you can't put a band-aid on it. Like, you have to make structural change. Yep. It has to be you real kind of, change. I'm glad a lot of conversation is happening in the world. You yeah. Know, I'm having difficult talks with a lot of people. Um, and But good talks. Like, they're always good. They're, they can be difficult, but they're always good talks. Yeah, I think people shy away, you know, even myself, I shy away from difficult conversations sometimes. We need to have those difficult conversations. We need to have the the chutzpah, the bravery to have those conversations and not worry about, oh, is this person going to think a certain way? Work towards justice, work towards what's right, and that's all I'm concerned about, you know? Also to realize that, like, your education is not done, my education is not done, that there is still more to be learned and viewpoints to be changed and, right you know an understanding history to be reassessed um and that you know we we have to be okay including myself with that constant growth and yeah. learning that like oh i still have stuff to learn um but i intend to learn it and be like a good human being you know right so absolutely that, like, that's what people are interested in like being good human beings right it's so bizarre to me that there's some sort of power out there that, that that's like well we don't really want to be good human beings just you know our people right it's crazy yeah you know but being somebody who is like an other all my life i guess like a, i guess i always was like but I, i'm a human being right you right. know and maybe maybe i already have that like gag reflex to people yeah. thinking that white means neutral or means is the norm right you know? well and let's you know and let's also encourage people one of the biggest ways we can have change is to for everyone to vote for their interests. Get out oh, there yeah, and yeah. vote to make change. You know, I hope that the young people will come out in this election and vote for what, what they think is going to work towards their interests, work towards us being a, a better society, you know, better humans, as you said it, you know? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Well, Rowan, I'm so glad we got to talk about this and talk again today and have this honest conversation. And let's keep encouraging everyone to have these conversations. Like you said, they can be uncomfortable. Maybe they are uncomfortable, but we should still have them because if we don't, we're ignoring problems and that's never a solution. All right, my man. man. Yeah, you too. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Brent. All right. See you soon. See you soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.